Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right, Happy New Year, Seattle. I can still say that. It is January, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and the... Uh, Oh, gosh, the the wise guy of whiskey. (laughs) Uh, It's been an amazing uh, year so far. So much going on. Had so many good friends. Uh, Last week we had uh, Matt Hoffman, the master distiller of Westland. And we are still on our whiskey excursion here. That's one of my resolutions is to drink well in moderation and to have someone drive me around so I can... (laughs) drink more. Um, but when you're thinking about drinking and tasting, it really starts with um, something that is uh, flavorful and contemplative. I mean, I'll take a shot, no problem, but I really don't want to do a shot. I want something that can linger on the palate that I can think about, perhaps some think about terroir or the ingredients or the age and, and its region. And um, we have a neighbor just uh, down south is in Oregon, He's also um, with a brewery. It's uh, Dewey Weddington. He is the director of spirits for uh, Rogue uh, Brewery and Distillery in uh, Oregon. And uh, Dewey Weddington is on the line. We're going to taste some, talk and taste some great expressions here. Uh, hey, Dewey, Happy New Year, pal. Thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Happy New Year, Christopher. Really happy to be with you and uh, get a chance to taste these whiskeys with you. Oh, me too. Uh, you guys keep doing some really fun things. Uh, I know that every good whiskey starts with a good beer. And, of course, Rogue is known for a great brewery. When was Rogue Brewery started? Uh, 1988. So we've been uh, we've been brewing now for more than 30 years, and, and we've been distilling for about 16. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been fun. It's, it's nice to have the, the resources of the brewery uh, helping us out with our whiskey washes and, and helping with our, on the innovation side as well. That's pretty neat. And how, how is, what is your role as uh, Director of Spirits, right? Do I have that right? Yeah, that, that, my role is that I get to talk to you. Um, <laughs> I, get a, I get to work with our sales team around the country at our distributors, work with our head distiller on uh, barrel finishing programs and such, looking at new spirits as we look out for the next few years, and and, uh, and then work hard on the education and information side as well. Pretty neat. Um, it's great to have uh, um, principals in our markets locally, uh, and of course, a far that, that actually can talk the talk and walk the walk, especially with some great products. Uh, I know that uh, being in the business for a long time, we um, I've talked to some vodka people, and they're telling me how many times it's been distilled and all that stuff, and like... Um, it still tastes like uh, like vodka, and at the end of the day, yeah. I want something that um, you know that that has a little more flavor, perhaps a, a nice, more romantic story, if you will. And um, I think Rogue Brewery, uh, Rogue Brewery and Distillery, has been, actually been doing that, and it's great to have um, locality here because. We get to watch you grow up and watch you succeed, and I believe you have. I've got four whiskeys in front of me. The first is called Oregon Single Malts. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is this is probably the one whiskey of the four that most reflects our home in, in Newport, Oregon. So we're located on the Central Oregon coast there at Newport, right on the Aquinnah Bay. Um, with this whiskey, it is uh, an American single malt by category. Um, it is aged five years. And with those five years now, we're starting to find that the, the 
characteristics of the Uquina Bay area, the Pacific, are coming through the whiskey. We get a little bit of hints of brininess uh, because this is uh, the barley is smoked about 10% uh, with apple, or that is, I'm sorry, cherry and alder. Um, we get a little little fine hint of smoke. So the alder there. reminds me of smoked salmon. That's where you get that briny note, I think, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, it helps bring that in. But the, the brininess, that sea air, sea air, literally coming through. Our rickhouse is open to the elements pretty much every day. So if it's foggy out there uh, along the Pacific, that's that's air. That fogginess is coming into our barrels, and that's what our barrels are breathing. So being right there on the water, it's kind of low and slow and casual and now we're getting some of those tones of that sea air along with that little hint of smoke so it's like you're sitting on the beach enjoying the sunset and sipping a really nice single ball <laughs> with a very nice uh, companion <laughs> i'm open yes hopefully. Uh, uh i'm really i'm a big barley fan as i find that um as i grow older apparently my asian roots are telling me rice and oats and barley are really what I should be eating instead of corn and wheat. Uh, so the the flavor of barley has really been appealing to me, especially in whiskeys. Of course, we get that in scotch as 100% single malt. Um, but here, where is your barley coming from? Is it, um, you have one source or several sources? I imagine you do. Well, as much as possible, it comes from Oregon growers. Uh, some of it comes out of Washington. Uh, so it is, it's Northwest barley. It's uh, what we can get as close as we can to home. Uh, for a while, and, and this particular bottling is, I think, the last year that uh, a high percentage of the barley that went into this, we actually grew ourselves over in Thai Valley. And uh, we, we kind of gave up that operation when we realized how hard, painful, and expensive it was to be a small-scale farmer. Um, but this one is that a little bit of uh, barley that, that we, uh, we handled ourselves from the grain all the way to the bottle. That's pretty neat. Um, and how was the choice of, of when you say you dry the malted barley with alder and you said cherry was it or apple? Cherry. Uh, it is cherry and alder that we cherry and alder, yeah, ten percent of the grain. Yeah. Now is that is that done by you or is that done by the uh, purveyors of the barley? That is that's done by our team. In fact, it's done by uh, our master cooper uh, Nate, who runs uh, Rolling Thunder Barrel House or Barrel Works. That is our cooperage. It's right next door to our still house. I like that, and I'm curious because when we think about um, peat smoke, and that's what imparts a lot of different flavors, and of course alder with the, the fish, as I mentioned, cherry is one of my favorite woods. Uh, is that in an oven, and is there smoke coming up through a screen? Tell me how that works. Yeah, the grain is laid out on screens, and it literally goes into a large, what looks like a tall refrigerator, uh, like stainless steel vessel. Uh, like a smoker. And it's smoked. Okay. Just like a smoker. Just like, ah. you, you know, I, I think Nate may have even smoked salmon in there at some point. Um, he won't tell us if he has. I but, can see uh, that little sure guy with the headband and the feather on it, the little smoker. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, with Nate, with Nate, you get tie dye and a, and a kilt on Friday. So oh, wow. show up and we'll we'll drink whiskey and have some salmon. Very good. Um, and speaking of January, it's uh, Thomas Burns or Robert Burns. <laughs> Robert Burns is uh, uh, celebrated uh, this month. Um, this is a very soft whiskey. Um, it has great character. I like the barley profile. It just has that hint of saline and um, just the hint of um, exotic smoke because it's hard to pin down really alder or cherry. But it's it's it has a little bit of fruit, and then uh, mm -hmm. trying to figure out what that, that. How do you describe alder? Can't figure it out. But this is delicious, <laughs> and all these the expressions are available here up in the northwest, uh, Washington State, here in Seattle. Correct? Oh yes, 
Yeah, all four of these are available throughout the Northwest. Fantastic. All right. Um, the next one is uh, I used to work at a place called Casi Betcha, and my friend was Jeff Steichen. We had a place, Casi Betcha, was from Portland. We had Dead Guy Ale in 1991, I think, at the uh, uh, yeah at Casi Betcha. And the next one is called Dead Guy Whiskey. Tell me about this. Well, this if you know Dead Guy Ale, then this whiskey will have some familiar flavors to you. It is distilled from the same three malts, the same recipe as Dead Guy Ale. We just leave the hops out for the whiskey. Um, so you end up with that Maybach-style ale. Um, it's uh, The brew is goes off the same brew stand through our brewery team, goes next door to the still house. Uh, once it's distilled, it ages for more than two years in New American Oak. Um, so we keep this one a little bit younger. We've got it to a point where we're really happy with the, the caramel and cocoa, um, coffee tones that come through with that. And with that little bit of youthful edge, it still holds up beautifully in a cocktail. Uh, this is really a fascinating flavor profile. To me, it's got a lot of umami, I want to say. Um, it has that roasted nice. nut that nut flavor. It reminded me of nori seaweed because there's a little bit of, of that saline, but it's it's kind of dried and I'm not proud of using the right words. I always thought Dead Guy had some smoked chipotle in it. Um. The, the ale itself does not. Okay. You know, maybe there maybe may have back been, in know, the day. At one point, there, yeah. there may have been a version at one point. Because, you know, at Rogue, we always ask that what if. And, and we were roasting Chipotle's at one point that went into a test whiskey. And there's a chance of it. All right. Well, I, I, my memory does serve me right. Uh, this, you know, the flavor profile, the palate here is very similar. Uh, this is 100% barley as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We lean heavily into the single malt category with pretty much everything we do. Very good. And is um, how we talk about stills, we talk about copper stills and, and you know, how it, the uh, metal, the elements interact with certain cogeners and esters. Um, is, do you have like a super updated still? You've been distilling for 16 years. Is that something that has changed or do you have the original pot still from the beginning? We, we have our original Vendome pot still out of Kentucky. Uh, we believe in that uh, beautiful big brass machine that, uh, that helps us make the whiskey we have, and we, you know, we feel like for single malt, that's that's the still to use. And I know people are starting to ask those questions about using column stills and stuff, making uh, whiskey and and even to single malt. But you know, we really feel like the flavor over time that that still provides for us and the signature characteristics that evolve in that kind of a still. Uh, is right where we would like to be and like to continue with that. Excellent. So, yeah, we, I, I love that. that. You've got your uh, you know, your vision and your mission, and you're, you're accomplishing it. What's the production of, like, the dead guy? Is this something that is uh, available, you know, throughout the country, or have you, are you, have you uh, breached or gone across the, uh, the old Atlantic? We, we actually, this is available uh, all over the U.S. This is our number one selling whiskey. Um, and there is a little bit shipped to Europe, and uh, this year we're starting to ship more into Asia. So uh, it's a whiskey that uh, we're starting to grow in our production a little more every year, and as we do that, we, uh, we kind of fill the requests that uh, friends of ours that know us from the beer side start asking. The more they learn about us the, on the whiskey side, uh, the more they're asking for it. So yeah, this is pretty readily available. I love it, and I'm curious. You know, uh, was there a uh, a query out to partner with the Rogue One Star Wars series here? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that we did. I was, that was a little bit before me, I think. But uh, boy, that would have made a whole lot of sense. No you know, doubt. You got to drink something when you're out there. 
in the intergalactic That's uh, right. Empires. Yeah. The vacuum of space is cold. You need some uh, warm dram to warm me up. Uh, we're going to take a What's break in a moment. We've got two more whiskeys to taste. But um, how many people are involved in the production of uh, Rogue Spirits and Ales? Uh, in the distillery itself, we have our uh, head distiller, Brian Pribble, and he has a team of about four people there. Um, that is the distillery team. It's a small wow. operation still. Uh, and then we, for the whiskey wash, we rely on the on the brewery side, which there's many more over on the brewery side, much larger operation. Sure. And, you know, when I think about the wine world, um, sometimes, you know, we always look for those big bottles, like the three liter. Is is Can, can spirits do that? I mean, I haven't really seen a three liter of whiskey, but is there, are you guys uh, trendsetters? We have not done a, a large format bottle for whiskey, um, although that's, that's an intriguing thought that we're going to have to talk more about maybe, Chris, because... Um, you can do a one liter uh, in the States, and uh, I don't know how much larger we can go, honestly, because we just haven't looked there, but I like the idea a lot. Well, I know that uh, recently the, the tequila tequila companies or Mezcal have come out with a certain skull sort of glass, and you've got this dead guy, cat, um, and he's been around. I mean, I know this guy very well since he's come from my era, the 80s, and <laughs> you guys need to have uh, a bottle just like that. Um, I, you guys send me these great little samples here. Um, it, are the four whiskeys your primary uh, portfolio, and do you have other expressions uh, available down at the uh, distillery? We have uh, one other whiskey that is that may or may not be available. It, it's uh, a, what we refer to as our Oregon Pinot Barrel Project that we aged our Dead Ganner single malt, and then uh, in two years in New Oak, and then uh, four years in used Pinot Noir barrels. Oh. But that was such a, about 34 cases released into Oregon only and to our pubs, and some of the pubs may still have a few bottles. <laughs> this coming year, we will do more uh, barrel-finished expressions and, and go down that path a little further. And then, of course, we have our, our two gins as well. Oh, we didn't try any gin, but uh, hey, folks, speaking with Dewey Weddington, who is the director of spirits uh, at uh, Rogue Spirits and Ales, and you guys are where, located where? We are located in Newport, Oregon, right on Neoquina Bay. All right, so, wow, you guys participate in that Newport Seafood Festival and all that? Absolutely, that that's that occurs right on, next to our property on the south uh South Jetty Marina area. Well, it sounds good. I bet you got some uh, gins and uh, some smoky oysters or some. Hey, folks, uh, we've got some great rogue spirits to taste. And so stick around. We come back right here on Happy Hour Radio. your day the right way the commute with carlson live and local weekdays 6 to 9 a.m talk radio 570 kvi you're in the know with kvi want to know weekends here's more happy hour radio with christopher chan all right still singing that happy new year uh old lang syne um got some new spirits here in front of me uh, from a cat who's been in the biz for a while, Dewey Weddington is the director of spirits at Rogue Ales and Spirits down in Newport, Oregon. you got to check it out. They've got a great seafood festival, which uh, I think happens, when is that? Is that June or is that October or something? August. The seafood festival? Yeah. That's coming up in, uh, boy, now you caught me, uh, February. Jeez. Oh, Perfect. The festival. Perfect timing then. How about that? I knew it was something important to talk about. 
I have. I'm having that. Uh, I need to taste more whiskey. It's like later January or into February. All right. Well, that's good. It's uh, it's coming up, um, and it's always a. You guys got the best crab down there. Um, of course, uh, we sell it at the Pike Place Market. Uh, one of the things that we talk about on Happy Hour Radio is uh, a lot of whiskey, and you have a uh, the Dead Guy uh, whiskey. You've got the uh, Oregon Single Malt whiskey, but their next whiskey is called Oregon Rye Malt. That's curious because I never think about malted rye. Yeah, we you know, true to rogue nature, we like to do things a little differently. And when we started down the whiskey path, the question was, should we make a rye? And then the next question was, how what should it be like? And we knew we were going to spend a lot of our energy in the single malt category, uh, partly as brewers moving over to whiskey. We knew we understood malts. And so we thought, let's let's test a malted rye and see what happens. What kind of flavors will we get from it? And at the time, there was only one other malted rye available in the U.S., and, and uh, we, so we had one example. But this whiskey is made from 52% malted rye and 48% malt barley. Um, so you end up softening the rye tones. If you're used to some of the bigger, punchier ryes of spice out there, this is going to be a softer, mellower entry that the spice will build on your palate. So it's kind of a single malt drinker's rye, but also just a really good way to experience rye whiskey without being overwhelmed with all the spice. Well, I really appreciate that you have barley as the base, and I know that you have more rye because you have to have more rye to call it rye. Um, but rye can be a little spicy, a little bit um, uh, sauvage, a little wilder, and a, perhaps a little bit astringent or bitter. Um, but that creaminess of the barley really sets the stage for the just the the, air, the spice of that rye. And um, when we think of rye, of course, it's a very winter-hardy grain. It's grown in Canada for so long, and that's why we talk about rock and rye from up there. But here, um, is your rye local? Yes, it is. Yeah. Excellent. So we're set of Oregon and Washington. All right. And I'm thinking, when we think about malted rye, because I think a lot of people actually just toast their grains to sort of uh, mm-hmm. change, caramelize the sugars or change them, break down the starches into sugars. You're actually malting it. You're actually um, wetting the grain and letting it sprout. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. We want to trick that you know that grain into sprouting. Uh, that helps bring the sugars forward, make them more available on the brewing side of the process. Um, and as we have found, it helps soften the spice tones. Yes, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, very delicious. And I, I'm not seeing the proof on my little uh, samples here. Uh, is are these all 80 proof, or is the rye a little more? This is 80 proof. Uh, in the uh, bottling here, within a couple of months, that proof will go up to about just about 85. Um, we wanted to take it up a little, and we found that was really the sweet spot for this whiskey. So on the shelf, you may find one that uh, some that are still at 80 proof, and then we'll, you'll gradually see that 85. Yeah, I've seen some rise. Obviously, Rittenhouse Rise uh, is a very popular one. I think it's 100 proof. Um, we have yeah. one more whiskey here, and this is called Rolling Thunder, and this has something to do with a very special beer. Is that right? It was the whole, the liquid itself, the process as a whole is a very special process. This is a whiskey that really represents everything that we do, both at the brewery and the, and the distillery, and then our cooperage in the middle. This starts out with barrels that we craft ourselves. So our Cooper Nate um, has been making barrels now for five years exclusively from Oregon Oak or Gariana. It's a lot of people refer to it. Oh, you have so it. This is a. Wow. That's what. That's what this this one whiskey is aged in Gariana. Now one year in new barrels, and then we 
it spends two more years in stout-saturated barrels. So the, the slightly longer version is we take one of our new barrels, we fill it with our, our actually our dead guy uh, distillate, and it will age in there for one year. We take it out, hold it for uh, nine months in stainless, and during those nine months we have refilled those barrels with our Rolling Thunder Imperial Stout, which is a limited-release stout that comes out about this time of year. Yeah. When that stout comes out, we put the whiskey back in, and so the whiskey gets all the benefit of the flavors from the stout. And, and Garyana itself doesn't have a lot of those caramel and sweet tones. So the, the stout provides a little of the sweetness that's into this. Interesting. I know that uh, I think Garyana is the fifth version of Quercus, right? It's different, the fifth, uh, the long-lost strain or species of oak. Well, well, here in Oregon, we would say it's the first. Oh, um, of course you would, being, you know, the, the, the highest priority. The, 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 fourth, sure. the fourth last state to be <laughs> Oregon territory. Um, so cool. So I'm tasting this. Um, definitely a, a more deep profile. It has um, more complexity. Of course, I'm getting more of some dark chocolate or um, even coffee notes because of that stout, that um, presence here. And even it, it smells, um, there, there, it reminds me of, Roasted sunflowers or sunflower seeds, I mean, or hazelnuts. Oh, I, I definitely get a nuttiness. And you say sunflowers, and I never thought of that. But I, I now that, of course, you mention it, and I can smell that. I get oh, back yeah. those tones out there. And I, I think it's more of the, the filbert, the hazel. Now, on the palate, definitely hazelnut. Um, definitely a more creamy nut. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I want <laughs> Exactly. I want to put this on my... Are you having some, too? <laughs> I oh, I. I never pass up an opportunity to sip the stouted whiskey, but this is one that, you know, that we had all been tasting for a couple of years, sat in barrel and got excited about. And in this year, when we released it at this proof, it's done so well in competitions, uh, both San Francisco, L.A. and over in London, that it's really blown us away. And this is a special whiskey to us personally um, and has been increasingly received that well. So when you say you want to taste it, Christopher, I'm right here with you. Right on, pal. Dewey uh, Weddington, the director of spirits uh, for Rogue Spirits and Ales down in Newport, Oregon. Of course, um, you you did you say you do gin? We do. We have uh, two gins. Uh, one is... Uh, will be called our farmhouse gin. We're making a few changes with that, the same recipe. It's a very cucumber-forward gin, uh, so it's a right, really bright, fresh uh, cucumber uh, approach to gin. And we actually, as much as we can, we grow the cucumbers on our farm south of Independence, Oregon. So in August, if you happen to be at the distillery, you'll find our team hand-peeling cucumbers and uh, putting them into the tank. Uh, So we like a really fresh, off-the-ground expression of cucumber. The second version is the same gin that we then finish for six months in freshly drained Pinot Noir barrels. So we add some of those wood tones and berry tones into the gin, and it's absolutely delicious. And if you like to experiment with cocktails, uh, both of those are great, but my favorite to play with is that Pinot uh, finished version of it. Does that uh, particular uh, style of gin gain a little color from the barrel? It does. It has kind of a nice, uh, kind of a nice deep red uh, hue to it, um, and it's confusing for some people to see it as a gin, um, but it is a phenomenal uh, flavor profile. Which is interesting because iris root, I think, was one of the ingredients in many gins. Uh, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. we had Luxardo here with their sour cherry gin version. It was uh, a very uh, orangey red color. Um, it was pretty tasty. Uh, so. What's the website for uh, to find these spirits at uh, Rogue Spirits and Ales? 
Well, you can just go to rogue.com, R-O-G-U-E.com, and on the top of your browser, you will see uh, you'll see the beers and spirits. Click on spirits, and that will take you to all of our all of our spirits and all the information about uh, what we're producing, uh, including the canned cocktails. Now, I believe, are up on that site. Very cool. Uh, this Rolling Thunder, I tell you, this has the longest finish of them all. Um, this is very. It's it's almost. I want to say chewy in a bad way. It's it's chewy like you're you're still you're munching. In a way, like it's like yeah, you can chew popcorn. Um, it's got that nuttiness. It's got a little bit of the chocolate and um, coffee note. But again, I think it's that hazelnut, uh, roasted hazelnut, which uh, one of my favorites. Um, congratulations, Dewey! You guys are doing a great job. I really appreciate the opportunity to taste these spirits and share them with our listeners. Um, and it's rogue.com. Uh, that's amazing. And uh, of course, you have the Seafood Festival coming up here in 2020, and uh, we'll look for those gins here. And everything's available at, say, Total Wine, or is it uh, Esquin Wine and Spirits here, or Metropolitan Markets? Any any better liquor store, but, but the easiest is always Bevmo and Total. Both carry our products in Washington, um, but pretty much any liquor store will, will have them. Yeah, anyway, that's worth their salt. they got to have the good stuff. Right on, pal. Dewey Weddington, sure. thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Really digging the Oregon Single Malt Whiskey, the Dead Guy Whiskey, the Oregon Rye Malt, and, of course, the Rolling Thunder. Hey, pal, thanks so much. Have a great uh, Happy New Year. Thank you, Christopher. You, too. And enjoy the winter while we still have it. <laughs> yes. It's ski season, and we can get um, a little Boda bag full of some of these lovely whiskeys. I'm wondering if uh, these are available up at the uh, the ski resorts here. Do you have a Timberline version, by chance? <laughs> we don't, but I know that they are available up at uh, Timberline Lodge. Well, so I, you know, there, how about a Blazer version? I mean, come on. I always thought about making Trailblazer <laughs> red and wine. You guys got to... Maybe not. Well, that studded bottle looks like it might be, right, with that red on there? That's true. Or, uh, maybe He's Damian angry. Lillard needs a version. I know. <laughs> I know his agent, by the way. <laughs> uh, so fun. All right, pal, take care. We'll talk again in, in this uh, beautiful 2020. Terrific. Thank you, Chris. Take All care. right, folks. Hey, stick around. we got lots more fun. Uh, gosh, it's, and I'm, my palate is just learning, lacking weight. No, it's none of that. It's uh, still thirsty. Right back on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Happy New Year. If you have any New Year's resolutions, perhaps one of them might be uh, to go nuts about something. <laughs> I'm fortunate, you know, when you think about food these days, the older we get, the more uh, cognizant we are about our bodies and realize what works, what doesn't work. You know, whether you're lactose intolerant or uh, gluten intolerant or whatever it is, I have a host of things that, you know, don't always agree with me. But one of them, thank goodness, is not peanut butter. I do love peanut butter, and I'm... Super pleased to share with you um, Dr. Samara Sterling, who is a Ph.D. research director at the Peanut Institute. All right. <laughs> it sounds so official. Dr. Samara Sterling, hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's talk about the Peanut Institute. Is it in Georgia? 
Yes, it's in Albany, Georgia, peanut country. <laughs> peanut country. Now, what I understand is that peanuts arrived in the United in the uh, North America from uh, African slaves. Is that the correct history? Yes, that's actually the correct history. Uh, so we do have some history of Africans bringing peanuts over during the transatlantic slave trade. And we also have some evidence that we had maybe some peanuts coming in from Central America as well. Hmm. So that's also pretty cool. But yes, definitely African slaves brought over some peanuts. Were there some, are there some domestic nuts or almonds, something we have here in the United States, or pecans or walnuts or cashews? or What, what do we have? What can we be proud of here in North America outside of Central Americans' peanuts, perhaps? Uh, well, I mean, I definitely think that we can be proud of peanuts, for sure, because if you look <laughs> over the past uh, 20, 30, 40 years, peanuts have really been America's favorite nut. So I would say we can definitely be proud of peanuts. This is true. Of course, it's uh, it's been an ingredient in Cracker Jacks, which is one yes. of my favorites. <laughs> but it's part of our pastime at sporting events. And, of course, I remember being in grade school, very young, uh, think, singing about goober peas. Goober peas. Haven't heard that one, but great, yes. That's cool. Well, let's talk about the Peanut Institute. Obviously, um, you represent a a whole category, which is an international category. Is the United States really the the leader in peanut technology or peanut information or peanut... propositions? <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, so we definitely lead the way in terms of peanut quality because we have we have some of the cutting edge uh, technologies and, and researchers that really work on making sure that our, our peanuts are the best quality that they could be. But we also have top consumers and producers of peanuts include China and India as well as the United States. Okay. And uh, obviously there's a host of nutritional benefits to peanuts, um, but as a crop, do they have to rotate? I know that sometimes you have to grow with different things to make sure your soils are continuous to be re, uh, reinvigorated, per, per se. Yeah, uh, so peanuts are a rotating crop, and one of the benefits of it is that it adds nitrogen back into the soil, so it actually helps the other crops that are coming back after it. So it's usually rotated with either corn or cotton, depending on the year. Sure. I'm curious, when we think about peanuts, um, I don't know if everyone knows that they grow underground. Is that really the truth? Yeah, that is really really the truth. That's why in some countries they're called ground nuts. Ground nuts. Okay. And uh, because we think of nuts, we think of trees uh for right? But this is different. And and what what makes a nut a nut? Well, a nut is defined as an edible uh, it's a fruit enclosed in a shell. Uh, So there's actually the fruit part of it, as you might see cashews. Cashews are like that. But peanuts, for example, um, peanuts are actually botanically considered a legume. So you do have the edible part is what we actually consider to be the nut, which is different from other classes of nuts. But really the commonality that we find across tree nuts and ground nuts is really their nutritional profile. They tend to be really high in a lot of these power nutrients, vitamins, vitamins, minerals, and protein as well. That's really fun. Um, now tell me, when, when I'm thinking of, of harvesting, we, we pick potatoes, sometimes there's a green potato, but they're usually brown coming out. Are peanuts green or are they, are they brown or gray before they go through this roasting process? Well, 
they're usually pretty gray. And actually, there's a there's a pretty cool technology that tells you when it's ready. But peanuts are usually ready after about 140 days. And when you pick them, you can tell. I mean, that, that smell is really fresh, and the color is, is a really nice brown as, as well. How do we do? How do we plant a peen, uh, peanut plant? Is it called a peanut plant? And yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I I just learned how to do this. Uh, but yeah, you can plant a peanut plant just by planting the actual peanut itself. It grows best in sandy soil and huh. in a hotter climate. So you know, depending on where you live, uh, that might determine your results. But yeah, you can definitely plant it yourself if you have the resources. Well, I'm sure Washington State could probably get into that business, but we want to take anything away from uh, Jimmy Carter in Georgia. Uh, I'm curious, so is the plant a tall plant? Is it a short ground cover plant like potatoes tend to be? And how many peanuts come up from the roots? Ooh, how many that? I am not sure how many, but I think it also depends on the year of the plant, like how well the plant has done through its season um, in terms of how well it grows underground. But you really do see uh, the farmers that we have here, especially in Georgia, the peanut farmers, they really do produce a pretty abundant crop. All right. And when I think about here Washington State, I'm in the wine business. My family has a vineyard. And one of the... the, uh, pests that we have to worry about are birds. Now, are there squirrels or chipmunks or raccoons in Georgia that you got to be considering? Well, we do have the snakes that love the peanuts, especially around harvest time. What? So you'll typically see the peanut farmers wearing snake boots. (laughs) Wow, really? What kind of snakes are these? Oh, you'll get all types. I don't get too close to figure it out. <laughs> wow, the serpent likes peanuts. Who Go figure. That seems like yeah. an inanimate object. I mean, I don't think that snakes ate a lot of uh, plants, per se, or reptiles well, in general. Everyone loves peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that that might be the, uh, you know, there's Mr. Mister Salty for pretzels. There's, of course, uh, Mr. Peanut or the planter's guy. <laughs> I'm surprised the snake <laughs> hasn't. Maybe that's, that has too much of that Adam and Eve symbolism or something. It's <laughs> too hey, funny. Baby. Well, tell me, um, can I overdose on peanuts? Can I eat too many peanuts? Well, I think you can eat too much of anything. You can even drink too much water if you're <laughs> not true. careful. Yeah, this is, this uh, is true. Really, but it's really hard to overdose on peanuts just because they're very satisfying. So uh, protein, you yeah. will tend to eat the amount that you need. Okay, and um, tell me about the allergies. I know that nut allergies are something that afflict um, a percentage of our population globally. Uh, what are they missing? Is it a gene, or is it really just something that is it, peanuts or nuts are have a, something about them and an oil or something that affects people's immune system? Well, actually, exciting new research uh, from the LEAP study has shown that if parents introduce their children to peanuts between the ages of four to six months when they start eating solid foods, it can actually reduce their risk of peanut allergies by up to 86%. So we believe as scientists that one of the reasons that we were seeing the increase in peanut allergies is because parents were waiting to introduce them after about three years or so. 
people. But if you introduce them earlier, it activates that immune response within the child so that the immune system doesn't see it as a foreign object, and it tends to do well in terms of uh, decreasing peanut allergy risk. Oh, it's, a, it's interesting, a foreign object. <laughs> hey, this, I, I remember seeing a, a show, The Fantastic Voyage, about uh, Donald Pleasance, and that's a sci-fi. Um, tell me about salt. Um, is there, are there natural sugars and salts in peanuts, or what are some of the, the things that we always consider being, you know, one of those vice ingredients? Well, uh, so for peanuts, if you if you pick up a pack of dry roasted peanuts, for example, a one ounce pack, you'll see that the sodium content is really between 90 milligrams to 120 milligrams, which is really not a lot of sodium. It may taste a bit salty just because it's added after processing, just like when you add salt at the table. Sure. Uh, but typically, uh, if you're concerned about the sodium, you can always get lightly salted peanuts or even no salt peanuts if you like. But a little sodium, what we've really found in the research is that if you add a little salt to the peanuts, it really doesn't uh, take away from the health benefit, so to speak. How many different versions of peanuts are there? Are there like the superior nut or is there a, a B version of the nut? I mean, is there one hybrid or is, is everything sort of still kind of wild? Well, I think it depends on... I mean, it depends on personal preference. So you've got runner peanuts, you've got which are the most common types here in Georgia. The Virginia peanuts, those are the large ones that you usually find as those uh, snack peanuts around the holidays. And then you've also got the Spanish peanuts, which are, which are the really small ones that you usually find them in candies, etc. So there are quite a few varieties, and it really just depends on what use the manufacturer may have for it. Oh, I love it. I'm speaking with Dr. Samara Sterling, who is the research director at Georgia's, uh, was you said Albany, Georgia, was it? Yes. Uh, and the Peanut Institute in Albany, Georgia. Hey, I've got some more questions. Uh, we're, we're talking with the Peanut Gallery. Is that correct? <laughs> I guess we can say that. All right, that's a bad one. Hey, folks, stick around. i got more bad jokes coming up on Happy Hour Radio. Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon, KVI. KVI, Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to our fourth and final segment. I've got Dr. Samara Sterling, who is the research director at the Peanut Institute in Georgia. We've been chatting about, of course, the goober peas, the ground nuts, and uh, the good old-fashioned peanuts. Um, uh, Samara, tell me uh, about oils and fats. I know that a lot of people are concerned about too much fat and, and good fat or good oils. What's a peanut have? Well, uh, peanuts are peanuts contain about 80% unsaturated fats. Those are sort of the liquid oils. And these oils we know are very beneficial, particularly for heart disease. They actually reduce your risk for, for developing cardiovascular disease. And not only that, they also help to increase satiety so you feel less hungry when you eat. And overall, I don't think that as consumers we should be too afraid of fat. It's more about having a 
balanced diet, and I think that peanuts provide the perfect opportunity for that with their good fats. What's a uh, daily recommended allowance of peanuts? Is it a tablespoon of peanut butter? Is that the same as, as having a handful or a, a fistful of peanuts in every Snickers bar? <laughs> you will have <laughs> Snickers bar. But yes, you should have an ounce of peanuts, which is literally a handful of peanuts each day, or two tablespoons of peanut butter, whichever one you prefer. Okay, and so those are pretty much equal. And there's there's no, um, a, uh, what is it, a loss of nutritional value per se when it's processed into a peanut butter? No, because uh, peanut butter is really nine, at least by law 90% peanuts. So you're really getting a lot of the benefits that you would get from snack peanuts just by spreading it onto a slice of toast or however you like to eat your peanut butter. All right. I kind of like it on celery, so it gets me um, some fiber. And speaking of fiber, I trust that nuts have uh, some fibrous uh, propriety properties? Yes, yes. They're actually a pretty good source of fiber, which helps to lower your cholesterol levels and also help with your heart health. Fantastic. Um, when I'm thinking about specific recipes, um, is or actually let me say this, when I think about peanuts, sometimes you get peanuts that have one sh- one in a shell, sometimes there's the duo, and sometimes there's like four or five. How does that happen? Is uh, how come they're not? How come they're all different, and not uniform? Beats me. I, that's a question <laughs> that I don't know how to answer. <laughs> I just know that it's good either way. <laughs> it's good either way. Now, is there any nutritional value in the shell itself? Because you know, I, I've always munched on sunflower seeds, and sometimes I'll just chow down on them, and you know, and hopefully that I don't choke on them. But is there a value, or is there a choking hazard for peanut shell d- digestion? Well, definitely, I wouldn't say eat too much peanut shells, but you would get a bit of fiber in there if you choose to, and it also is a good skin exfoliant as well if you're into uh, skin health. Uh, So just grab a bunch of uh, roasted, unshelled peanuts and rub them all over your face, is what you're saying. Well, you could grab them, or your back. round them up, and then, yeah, or your back, whichever I got you it. prefer. Sure, okay, because uh, that's, that's really what I need. Um, is there a peanut hall of fame there in Georgia? No, but that's a great idea. <laughs> is there a world record for the largest peanut farmed or most peanuts ever consumed? Ooh, that I don't know. No, I don't know of that either. <laughs> and the Research Institute, uh, the Peanut Institute, are you guys working on um, new perhaps peanut beverages or, or peanut vitamins, things like that? Or is just really there's no Mother Nature already did it all? Well, there's always, there are so many uses for peanuts. So there are always things coming in the pipeline. Uh, we had peanut milk debut last year. Uh, there's other forms of peanuts, including boiled peanuts and recipes that people are uh, experimenting with, like boiled peanut hummus. So keep your mm. eyes open out for that because we always have something going on. I like that. Now, peanut milk, that is interesting. I guess there's almond milk, right? Okay. Yeah. Now, um, does it taste like peanuts or is it? does it taste like just milk? Well, there are a few different versions that are being developed right now. Vanilla um, chocolate? <laughs> yeah, there's actually a chocolate version. Uh, there's a regular version, and it really just depends. Um, that that one's sort of still in the 
in the process of being developed. Who might be the largest consumer from a corporation standpoint? Is that planters of peanuts? I mean, they must have their own farms, or is it Skippy, or is it Snickers, or is it something somebody we don't necessarily think of? Is there, you know, peanuts being used in some fashion we don't always, you know, put it on a radar? No, but you you've mentioned all the big names: Planters, Skippy, uh, Jif, Smuckers. Um, Jif really has uh, the largest in terms of peanut butter. Really, uh, but those are really the the big household names. That we've come to know and love. All right. Well, I'm curious. Do you like Skippy or Jeff? Oh, I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> I always like. I I grew up on Skippy, but Jeff always had a little more peanut buttery taste and perhaps mm. a little more sugar too. I think that's what it did. Uh, what a treat! This has been really fun for me. I'm always surprised what comes across my desk, and uh, I'm even more surprised at how fun it is to learn about uh, peanuts. Dr. Samara Sterling, the research director of the Peanut Institute. Hey, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Oh, thank you again. Uh, it's a pleasure. Hey, folks, hope you uh, get some beer nuts, some peanuts, and uh, uh, munch along with confidence that you're doing something healthy and heart healthy as well. Uh, remember, when you're out and about this happy new year. Uh, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.